Hey guys, I'm super excited before you listen to the podcast to announce a new initiative on Twitter, uh, Gary VEE TV. Is that right, Jim? There it is. Gary VEE TV, go follow it. Unlimited quality clips daily on Twitter. Uh, something I'm testing out that I think you guys are gonna love uh, and enjoy. If you uh, are looking for more content and more context and more information, go to Twitter. Uh, and check up and look up Gary VEE TV, my new account. Check me out. Hope you enjoy it. And hit me up on Twitter and let me know how you like it. Thanks, guys. This is the Gary V Audio Experience. All right, everybody. Uh, Moise and I are already having some fun behind, but now we're live. Uh, for everybody on the podcast, thank you for joining another episode of Coffee and Commerce. This little sub-series that I've created on the podcast to... Uh, to really just bring some awareness and uh, and some joy and happiness to the great announcement of Vayner Commerce, a company that obviously I've wanted to build for a long, long time, given my background and a great new addition to the Vayner X world. Big shout out to everybody who is in the live stream: Jeff Hickman, Ray Martinez, Sean Thomas, uh, Jessica H, Emma Giles. Thank you guys for joining us. But most of all, thank you, Moise, for joining us. Let's just get right into this podcast. Uh, why don't you tell the Vayner Nation and all the people watching? Uh, who you are and what your relationship with e-commerce is. Let's just get right into the comic book, you know, episode one kind of origin story. Um, and thank you so much for taking the time during this tough time. I hope you and your family are well. We're doing well. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, of course. I, you know, I, I was a lawyer in New York City for about two and a half years. Um, left being a lawyer to start an e-commerce business back in 2012. We were actually in the alcohol space. Um, oh, really? That business. Yeah, we were uh, big admirers of um, of Wine Library. We, we started a business called Caskers, which sold hard liquor online. Yeah, um, tough, it still does. Lost, yeah, tough, really, right? really tough. Uh, Actually, we, since we got a little time, let's take it way, way, way back. Where did you Where did you grow up? Like, what kind of kid were you? Sure, uh, grew up in Florida in a family full of a bunch of entrepreneurs. Like, my dad has never gotten a paycheck in his entire life, um, and wants it to be that way. Um, you know, went to law school and my brother was working at Microsoft. He quit to start a business. And when I became a lawyer, uh, you know, my dad and my brother would call me up and they're like, what are you doing working for the man? Uh, you know, you gotta be, <laughs> they would just uh, and I was like, you know, my entire life I've wanted to be a lawyer and, uh, I just graduated law school. I've got a bunch of student debt. Um, what are you talking about? How could I possibly quit? Like that's so much risk. And they're like, you're an idiot you got to leave right away and so after a couple <laughs> of years i sort of mustered up the courage to actually do that um started caskers with a law school classmate of mine uh we exited the business in 2013 and it was really my first taste in e-commerce and you know in 2012 i i feel like being in e-commerce for eight years makes me a dinosaur in this industry uh in 2012 e-commerce was so different than it is in 2015 or 2020. Bro, you know, I, launched, I, lo likes. I launched wine library in 1996. like yeah like, how did you, you know, do like, that i i you know what's so funny? I was so undereducated. Like I wasn't a good student. I was a true entrepreneur. I was in a family business. It was literally this not this basic. It was, well, the internet's here now and it's gonna be humongous. Like it was just a very binary bet that most people yeah. didn't understand. I was like, everybody's gonna buy stuff on the internet. And wine was challenging. It was a really gray space with like laws, like a lot of places you couldn't ship to, then you could, yeah. then a day later you couldn't. But I did have the foundation of building it on top of my dad's liquor store. And so you know, it was it was just it just kind of worked right away because even by then I'd already been in the business for like seven years. Like I re like it's scary to think how much I knew about wine at twenty. You know, at twenty one. Yeah. You know, just yeah. I, it was my whole life. Like I don't even know what else to say it. Like 
it was all I knew and cared about. I wanted to be the greatest wine retailer of all time. There was just no, I was fucking obsessed. That's how. But like today, you know, it's, it, you're like, okay, I got to start a website and then I got to drive traffic to that website. How yeah, do you like, start I a got, website in 1996? You have to you, develop, you how you're developer? Oh, you're going to love this. You get ripped off by a Russian guy named Alex who owns a company <laughs> in Livingston, New Jersey called Spacegate. And he pays you, 50, you pay him $25,000 for something that he probably built in two hours on Dreamweaver. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah just didn't crazy. know. You know, like yeah. you just didn't know. Like it was like stagnant. I had to pick like a hundred sure. items in the store. It wasn't dynamic. There was no inventory. Yeah. There's no API. To your point, I like, but it was email, by the way, to answer your question. That's how you drove traffic. I, yeah. I knew it was email. I, I figured out email so early. And then because I had the benefit of having a store and it wasn't a pure play email, uh, e commerce site, I basically relentlessly didn't allow anybody to come into our store and not leave with their email. And in the beginning, gotcha. Moise, you'll love this. In the beginning, it was like, hey, you know, what's your email? And they're like, oh yeah, I have one of those now. It's AOL at yahoo.com. Like people are just super confused, sure. even the Wall Street crew. And then you just built from there. But back to you. So you were you were like a good student. Like were you, is your dad first generation or second generation? Like how does the family tree go? Uh, I was born in Pakistan. My dad was born in India. So I guess Got I'm it. first generation. Yeah, came you're like me. Three, uh, came oh, here when I was like really me. young. Yeah, I yeah. came when I was three. And, and so um, I don't know what I think that makes me first generation, but like hard yeah, yeah. to understand. Uh, but you, then, but yeah, you were you were told that school was like 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 it's the way yeah. out, or even yeah. with entrepreneur parent. Even with entrepreneur parents, they're like uh, education is a silver bullet. Uh, you know, we're working these uh, jobs that aren't generating a ton of uh, income for us. You're going to be able to generate a ton of income. We're working our asses off so that you can live a better life and you don't have to do this. And, um, you know, super grateful for that type. Like, you know, when you're, when you're eight years old, you don't understand the type of sacrifices that your parents are making, uh, even if they're coming home at like nine that's or 10 right. PM, that's right. uh, when it you're in normal. your twenties and your thirties. Yeah, yeah that's normal. right. It seems normal. Like that when, you know, hard work, I think is a learned behavior. And so to me, it was just like, like, I didn't know any different. Like my mom raised three kids with zero help. I never saw a housekeeper or somebody come over and help in my life. And she did everything yeah. for the kids yeah. and, and like worked her face off. And my dad, I didn't even see him until I was 14. So I totally, I can totally relate. So you go to law school, you do the taskers thing. What happens next? Did uh, you guys, so did you guys sell that as like a break even? Did you make a few cents? Did you like, was it like- We made a got few million dollars each. Like uh, oh, it, it was a good So outcome. it was a huge uh, win. Yeah, it, it was great. I mean, for 18 months of work and uh, not understanding what the hell we were doing, um, it was a great outcome for us. Boys, let's not let's not let's not like be humble here or like or or tone deaf. Like that's a massive fucking win. The amount of humans Absolutely. that have a you know you're in playing in rarefied air, especially after your next success that you'll sure. tell everybody about. But like in real talk, the amount of people that every build a business that does a million or they make a million is like nobody. People don't talk. You're about absolutely that right. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. There was a great tweet I saw a long time ago that said, raise $10 million and you were invited to every awesome party. Sell your business and make $10 million and it's crickets, no one cares. Uh, and and there's that's a absolutely really, there's terrible. A, there's a really, really, really interesting, like my favorite clip of me on the internet. I was on Bloomberg TV doing a Techstars roundup show, kind of like yeah. the real world or like the housewives, like the roundup show, because they did a show sure. on Techstars. And it was like the last episode. I was, one of the, I was there with Fred Wilson and like, you know, it's yeah. like, like a thing. And like, they went to the eight companies. It's literally out of like the real world and housewives. It's the wrap up show. And everyone's like, and at the end of the season, we raised $2 million and the crowd's going nuts. And one company goes, yeah, so we decided not to raise any capital, but like, you know, we, we made like 400,000 in profit the last year and we're like really getting to, 
crickets. Yeah, I grab nuts. the I grab the mic and lose my shit. Like completely improv on TV live, and I'm like, this is why everything's broken. These two I admire. You are celebrating giving up a piece of your company. Sure. And gonna be forced to doing dumb shit forever because the VC is <laughs> always gonna push you in the wrong place. These people are building a real business and there's crickets. I appreciate you saying that tweet. That makes a ton of sense. Yeah, it, it's nuts. Uh, it happens all the time. Um, and it's like, you know, uh, I, we were based in San Francisco, my next business, and that's all it is over here. You want that TechCrunch article, you want the, uh, you know, you want that public, pu publicity around uh, raising a fundraising round. Um, and, and so in 2015, I launched a deodorant business called Native which was like a direct-to-consumer direct personal care company. Uh, you know, nobody ever heard about us until we sold the business. We raised a small amount of money. We raised about $500,000 over the life of the business. Yeah, wow. first 300K came in like the first year. The next 200K came like, you know, with uh, between and were you, one and two. Were you in a payout schedule on the, on the liquor brand so you didn't put your own liquid in or you put a little bit of your own liquid in or how'd you play it? It's good learning for people. From the, uh, the liquor brand probably cost us like a grand to start. Native probably no. I apologize. Two grand when start. you start when you started Native, you, yeah. you know when you raised capital was that yeah. strategic? You obviously had that big exit. Were you waiting for that money to waterfall? Like that was an earnout, or no, no, you decided no, it was no just strategic. Got it. So there you were no decided. I, I, yeah, I guess like what I was looking for was well, one, I was in San Francisco, and I was like, I, I guess this is what people do. They go out and yeah. raise money, and that's a sign of way, success. Stay there with that. You just helped a lot of kids, that not even kids, 50-year-olds. You had the money, but you gave up a piece of your, and like, by the way, let's educate people. You gave up a piece of that business. You know, We're about to get to the punchline for those that don't know. That business had a very successful exit. You made a lot of money for somebody else that could have been yours if you used your own liquid, but, but the world was like, oh, you raised money. Sure. Uh, certainly fell into that trap of being like, you need to go raise money in order to make this business successful. You need that type of outside validation. This was despite the fact that we were like profitable since day one. Um, I was just like, I don't know what, uh, like, I think this is what we're supposed to be doing. I'm in San Francisco <laughs> and all of these people, these parties are talking about raising money. I guess that's what I should be doing. We were like um, slow about it, like um, raised $50,000 probably in the first three months, raised another 250 in the uh, within one year. Um, and, and you know that that was about six percent dilution to the business. So we were raising at a five million dollar cap, raised three hundred thousand dollars at that uh, at that valuation, um, and then after that we lifted our valuation significantly. And like you know there was there wasn't meaningful dilution after that. Um, but yeah, for the first year, we, you know, we raised money because we we're like, okay, this is what we're supposed to be doing. It, you know, in, in those uh, in those investors' defense, they they were like fantastic people to have around the table. They were really kind. Yeah, yeah. Um, they picked up the to phone your, when I called them. It was great. To your to your point. You could get a, there's so many different investor relationships. You could have an investor who puts in 5 million of the 6 million and, and, and is just passive money. And you could have somebody in that same round put in 120,000 and they're the one that made the intro to Walmart or Amazon or, or gave you the insight on a TikTok ad spend that changed the business. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more with that. Um, and, and, you know, for me, I was a solo founder. And so getting that money or getting other people around the table really made it much easier, like made it easier for me to have conversations with other adults about the business. I was like, you know, I didn't really have anybody to share um, the ups and downs of the business with uh, that, that also had a financial interest. And so that, that was did great. You, did, you, did you find solace in that with your dad, brother, or fellow entrepreneurs? Were you able to find yeah. that as well? Yeah, absolutely. Certainly with my brother, he was out here running a mobile gaming company that raised $40 million from Andreessen Horowitz. Like, um, you know, uh, he was certainly like the guy that I talked to every day about the business, but at the same time he was running his own business. And so it was like, you know, it's hard to necessarily go down the details with him, at least some of the times. 
Um, and, and then I also started this e-commerce brunch in San Francisco where a bunch of us would get together once a month and talk about our business. And our business, like, you know, we saw businesses go from $0 to $200 million in revenue, uh, like over the course of the two years of that brunch. It was really That's fantastic. Cool. Like, uh, it was great to have that sort of network. Who was, who was there? Just to give some nice shout outs um, to friends. This guy named Eric from Nectar Mattresses, Matt from Vinebox, H Hank from Japan Great. We uh, ended up inviting a few uh, investors as well. So Sun Sunny from Signia, Nargia from Mavron. It was really great. And like, you know, it's a rotating crew as well. And so, you know, you'd random, like some, sometimes people would show up and sometimes people wouldn't. And so you're constantly learning things. I love that. Of fun. So keep going. A uh, ton of fun, um, grew native, uh, you know, it was super profitable. Um, you know, we were growing like cats and dogs. Uh, we started the business in 2015, November, 2017, we're doing tens of millions of dollars in revenue a year. What was working? Facebook ads? Facebook ads were working, but in reality, we were at the right product at the right time. Like um, press? Uh, press was working, but so was like repeat purchase rate. We really worked on creating a much better deodorant than when we launched. And oh, so yeah, let's, let's, let's uh, you know, I apologize. Uh, no, no. Because I really, what I'm really hoping with the launch of Vayner Commerce is that this is a signal to the marketplace. I'm trying to use my awareness and my platform and this business's platform to really help people become more 360 with their thinking. Because as you know, you know, everybody became so one-dimensional on CAC and LTV. There was no sure. sustainable e-commerce. And because I've been doing that for 20 plus, five, almost 25 yeah. years now, like I really understand it. And that's, what, by the way, one of the biggest reasons I didn't invest during this period with a lot of those companies was I knew, of course I knew there'd be some that would get through bought by bigger companies. Of course I knew there'd be two or three generational entrepreneurs who went on to build evergreen businesses like Amazon and Facebook and things of that nature. But so many people were so one-dimensional of like, I understand Facebook ads and I'm gonna build the next peanut butter and the next sure. Coca-Cola and the next coffee and it was just not gonna happen. Um, what you just said matters so much. There's so many tactics in packaging, in remarketing, in customer service, but nothing beats a great fucking product. And I think from outside, with. we've never gotten a jam. I can tell you as a user, by the way. Um, Fantastic, awesome. Uh, uh, you have a great fucking product. Thank you. Really appreciate that. We worked really hard on it. Like when we launched the business, we had a 20% repeat purchase rate and like, you know, 3.7 star reviews. And so we spent the first year of the business just working on product. And I couldn't agree more with you. Like, you know, people think that it could be that it's like 90% marketing. In reality, marketing is important, but the marketing is only going to get you so far. Marketing, fucking marketing exposes the truth. I'm, I'm living yeah. it right now. I had a really, you know, my dad and I were on vacation in Italy this summer and he looked at me he literally looked at me and says, I don't share this off. And he's like, hey, so you help all these other fucking people. You're not going to help out dad. And what the truth is, and you're going to understand this better than anybody. Um, you know, the reality is we had this long period of time where I helped build his business. Then I kind of broke off. We both kind of needed it. Yeah. Right? He, he got to be the man again because I was the fucking man. My energy was yeah. only one direction. Yeah. It was great. And he loved those first three to four years when I wasn't there. But he didn't love, you know, as the business started feeling me not being there. Yeah, and, of course. And I was kind of happy because I, I, we were in a great place in our personal relationship because we weren't two cooks in a kitchen, you know. And yeah. so, and so I was a little, I was a little cautious. But anyway, back to the moral story. So we have this time, and I literally have been thinking about this idea, and so I, I executed it. I executed something recently called Wine Text. Do you drink wine? Yeah, I drink wine. Good. I really want you to sign up. It would mean a lot for me. Great, I will. It's called it's called Wine Text. I just think you're gonna. Knowing your background, I think you're gonna get an insight. It's it's called Wine Text. You sign up, or it takes two minutes to sign up, and then you get a text today. It's basically a Groupon meets Wine Library, 
where yeah. it's a humongously discounted wine. Today was a $48 red blend for $19, right? Gotcha. And you just reply with a number. And that's how many bottles get shipped to you. And what's happening is we're doing it right now and it's exploding. And and it, and I've done a mil- I do a million things. And it really reminded me why I knew Native was gonna win the first time I saw it. Wine Text is just the right product. It's so frictionless. Yeah. I've literally seen multiple people tweet that Wine Text makes Amazon feel cumbersome. And I was like, whoa. You know, like, and so I, 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 I couldn't agree with you more. Like all that marketing does is exposes the truth. Yeah. I tell companies all that, we, we turned down a big deal the other day and, I, and the founder is blown away and is like trying, now is super intrigued by me because we walked and I said, your product is awful. Like we're gonna, yeah. ex- all I'm gonna do is speed up you going out of business. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> that's what great marketing does. It speeds up the truth. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to be honest, like when we launched our business, we barely spent any marketing dollars because we were like, we think this product needs to get better before we can create a home run, but before we have a home run exit. And so like um, we launched in July of 2015 by, um, you know, by May 2016, we were at about $100,000 a month in revenue. So not like not nothing, but not uh, not huge. No, but, um, but, but then when we launched a new product. We launched a new formula in May of 2016, at the end of May 2016, because we're like, okay, we think we've finally figured this out. Um, uh, instantly, by the end of May, we saw uh, reviews go up to north of four and a half stars. We saw repeat purchase rates start going up from 25% to 50%. Um, and we knew we were onto something big. And so June was $250,000. By November of 2016, we were at a million dollars a month. So it took us like, you know, seven months to realize, hey, we've got the product that we wanted and to start putting marketing dollars to work um, to, uh, to 10X the business. Because um, we realized we had the right product and we were in the right industry at the right time. Pour the lighter fluid once it's proven not to be the oxygen that sustains it. Yeah, it, that's exactly right. Uh, repeat what purchase. What, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. No, I apologize. I'm trying to think about how to bring value to everybody's listening. What are what are your some of the what are some of the trends? You know, there's so many aspiring entrepreneurs or people looking at the space. Also, you know this. A lot of these brands are about to go out of business during this period because they're not going to get the fundraising to yeah. keep them alive. So I think there'll be some opportunistic entrepreneurs that will look to pick up brands. Like, what should people be thinking about from ecom? Like, what's your state of the union from your great perspective? Yeah, I think there's been a real reckoning in e-commerce in the last four months. Um, and part of it is due to, um, you know, general economic malaise and COVID. Uh, part of it is, um, you know, some VC-backed businesses are just not working. You know, Outdoor Voices Pink. need to get recapitalized. Brandless getting shut down. Casper's IPO not going in the direction that people wanted. You know, it ultimately fundraised more than it sold for. Um, and then people realizing that, hey, we need a path to profitability as well. And I think like WeWork really proved that. Obviously, it was in a different industry, but it made everyone realize, hey, you know what? You can't just constantly throw marketing dollars um, at a business and have losses for the next 10 years. You need a path to profitability. So I absolutely think you're right. Like There is a reckoning going on in e-commerce. There are distressed assets, in part because of COVID, in part because people realize that they can't easily get PC funding, and in part because people don't have a path to profitability. Um, and so that perfect storm is uh, really um, disrupting the direct consumer industry. And there's also a lot of brands that don't get the headlines of the ones that you just brought up who are quietly and very successfully building nice 11, 6, 13, 4, 9 million dollar businesses that are profitable and have their economic straight. Yeah, absolutely. And like those owners are becoming incredibly wealthy, you know, they'll do $10 million with 20% margins. These guys will be taking home $2 million a year. That's a fantastic outcome. Um, if, and if you like it, it's insane. Yeah, it, it's a, I mean, that is don't, like- um, don't forget 
yeah, four hundred forty thousand dollars a year is the beginning of the one percent earners in our country. Yeah. You know, like you know, you, you have that kind of take home. Get out of town. Yeah. I mean, that's like yeah. that's that's a dream. Yeah, uh, they don't. I, I really love that you're praising that. Yeah, I feel like nobody else praises that. It's great that you're praising that. The ten million dollar you know, a year business with ten percent or twenty percent margins is a fantastic business. I'm also praising the one million dollar a year revenue. Uh, you know, B, you know, honey business that's taking home eighty six thousand, sure. but is smiling every day of their life. Like sure. I'm, I'm, you know, thank you for saying that. And I'm trying to even take it, even let's say, click down one more level with the way that Shopify. Uh, Instagram. I mean, there was a guy on my tea with Gary V yesterday who, you know, ha- did a TikTok that went viral and they sold two thousand dollars worth of their beauty product in a second. Yeah. Like, w- there's so much practicality around a ninety-four thousand dollar a year business. You know, like I think you know who I think a lot about. You obviously you run in those Silicon Valley circles. I run in my circles, but both of us, you in Florida, me in Jersey. We still come from, you know, especially immigrants, family businesses, gas stations, sure. liquor stores, right? To me, sure. I just wish people realized, especially, you know, I, I actually use lawyer a lot. I'm thinking about the $113,000 a year, you know, you know, executive right now who's in their 20s or the or the $280,000 executive in their 53. And I'm like, man, if they knew that they could sell something that they love, like sports gear, honey, sure. raspberry, wine, and, and make 80% of their earnings or maybe 120% of their earnings, they'd be so happy. Yeah, it, it, it's just you have to like, you know, Steve Jobs has that great 2005 commencement speech at Stanford where he's like, you can't see the dots connecting themselves in the future. You have to like, you can only see them in hindsight. Like nobody Correct. understands how things are going to work. Like you can't quit your job and be like, I know I'm going to be able to make 120% of my income within two years. You can only do that after you quit your job. And but, uh, that's the big risk if that you, people if you can, but, but if people are willing to get lean into humility and happiness, you know, if you didn't need a BMW, if you didn't need to live in the apartment, you're you know, forget about BMW. If you're living in a four thousand dollar a month apartment that you're paying for, can you go to a twenty eight hundred dollar one, sure. which yeah. unlocks the twelve hundred bucks that allows you to take the rate? Like, like it's yeah. like it's this combination of like relationship with humility that leads to happiness that I think a lot about. Yeah, it's like lifestyle creep, right? All of a sudden, you move like you're a lawyer, and now you move into that six thousand dollar a month apartment, and, and you get now you're in trouble. Down. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Now you need a $250,000 income in order to maintain that lifestyle. And are you willing to give that up, especially when your friends are going to remain in that $6,000 a month apartment? What, uh, you know, what was the biggest eye-opener, now looking backwards at Native, that you did subconsciously or intuitively that was a monster foundational block? That you're like, damn, that wasn't taught to me. I didn't read that. I didn't watch Steve Jobs talk. That was just some you know, DNA shit. And it didn't, you know, I didn't even realize it. But wow, thank God I did that. Yeah, uh, you know, my parents owned gas stations growing up and I worked in them throughout high, throughout middle school and high school. And, um, you know, learning how to market products at a gas station really like translates in, like into learning how to market products with customers, even online, okay. right? Like um, you got to know what how was to your, what was your Yeah, what was, what was your hardest like move in the, uh, in the gas? Give me, give me like a classic story. In the gas station business, I yeah. mean, you know, we, we'd like be like, okay, should we invest a thousand dollars or twelve hundred dollars into this like um, icy machine? And yeah, exactly. And when are we ever going to get that? To, uh, like, if we sell four of them a day, we're never going to get that money back. Um, so how much do we? Ha- how much do we have to sell a day? Do we have enough foot traffic for that? I mean, I was twelve years old or fifteen years old when we were, I was working there. I didn't understand any of those metrics, right? I was just like, okay, we have this twelve hundred dollar machine. We have to make it look really nice. You know, you got to keep all this powder and mix in it. And what happens when no one buys? 
utilize it. At the end of the day, you got to throw out what's left over, and well, now you all of a sudden, you waste a bunch of money. Three of them, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, and so like <laughs> I used to, uh, that, that's I used why everyone eat, has diabetes. I used to eat all the Slim Jims at my dad's liquor store counter, and he's like, "Oh, we're selling Slim Jims." I'm like, mm, not really. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, really. Yeah, that's, that's right. Uh, and, and so you know, you got to worry about those types of things, and that type of like understanding those costs and that DNA, and then translating that into building a much larger business online is it's the same thing it's just at a different scale and like being frugal um you know we started our website on wordpress on woocommerce uh we're doing north of five million dollars a month on woocommerce like on a wordpress website that was absolutely free to build uh the initial investment in the business was probably eighteen hundred dollars uh, like a very low investment. In Why order was to get it so low? You took pre-sales on the deodorant up front, or no? We we had like just-in-time inventory, uh, and, and so in reality, if you bought your if you bought your deodorant today, which is a Tuesday, we probably made it Wednesday or Thursday and shipped it to you Friday, and that was a big failing of ours. We could like you know it took us a long time. Well, to it's, not a, it's, not a, Monday it's not a Monday and Tuesday. It's not a failure. It's actually the best advice you gave here because everybody thinks they need to raise a trillion dollars. I would actually argue it's one of the best kernels you just gave in this entire podcast because there's a lot of people that think if they're not in a position to raise $50,000 in capital, they can't start a business. Like I, I started I started a, you know, uh, $3,000, $150,000 a year baseball card business on a fucking quarter. You can, yeah. you just gotta yeah. be patient. And I actually admire you so much for that. Thank you, I appreciate that. Yeah, look. I think, the- I think as long as you didn't make a promise up front to like same day shipping, as long as you didn't, you know what I mean? Sure, for sure. And like, what we were really good at was also customer service. We're like, look, uh, like I did the most customer service tickets between the time we started the business and when we sold the business. Uh, like, I was the number one customer service agent because, in reality, like the 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 you talk about, people talk about direct to consumer. Uh, the the advantage you have over the Procter and Gambles and Unilevers of the world is that you have a direct relationship with the consumer 100%. in a way that P and Gs and Unilevers never do. And if as a CEO you step back from that relationship, you become P and G. You no Moish, longer have that I, 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 I would write thank you notes into wine. I would take the order, the order would come in. Yeah. I would process it because I took it from the website and had to ring it up on the computer. Like it was, you know, it was fucking 19. Sure. I would, I would then go on the floor, pull the bottles. I would then put in the styrofoam. I would then write a note. Moish, thank, thank you, you so know. much. Wine library is the future. Like keep drinking Pinot Noir. Like real shit, not just like thank you. Yeah. Sure. Pack it, tape it, drive it to mailbox, etc. and shit like, People don't get it. They see the outcome. Yeah. They see yeah, the absolutely. outcome. You they know, see like, the fucking uh, outcome. For me, I was also writing thank you notes. On the first day that Native started, we launched on Product Hunt, and I like tweeted out a, a photo of all these uh, thank you notes from the Native uh, Twitter account, and it looked like there were this many orders because there were this many sheets of paper. In reality, it was the first like five or six sheets of paper that were actually had thank you notes. Everything else was blank. And then you know, I would go home. I would work uh, during the day in awesome. customer service, doing marketing and operations. And then I would go home to my bro- actually, I lived with my brother at the time. I'd go home to his apartment and pack boxes while watching Netflix. Uh, you know, Monday through Thursday of the week, basically, uh, and then do Fridays on Saturday or Sunday. And um, you know, was doing like you know from a-, a to Z sort of by myself on my dining room table until we got to too many orders where I was like, okay, we need to get a third party in order to be able to pack these boxes. Love. Were you in the mindset of in that such a practical startup scene that like we'll do it this way because it might not work out and we may sell coffee or hats or something else? 
Absolutely. I was like, look, nobody's going to buy deodorant online. People aren't going to buy $12 deodorant online. That's triple the uh, price of the old spices and degrees of the world. So let me see what happens in two months. I'll learn whatever I can. And then this business will probably not go anywhere and I'll have to fold it. Uh, I'll have to fold. And like, you know, within two months, I was walking from my apartment to the local USPS facility, like which was only two blocks away from my brother's apartment with like two big giant trash cans with the product filled up. Uh, you know, my shoulders were sore along the two two uh, two block walk, and I'd walk into USPS and be like, "Here, I'm shipping all these things," and they're like, "What the hell are you doing here? This is like a local retail branch. You're waiting in line, and you've got 600 packages that you just brought with you." Um, and, and that's I the way you got to do I it. I literally, literally did the same thing with my library mailbox. That's the way you. I I actually eventually got to a scale where I had to send one of my employees to just be there the whole time. Yeah, that's right. That's great. Like, you know, later on, a year later, when people were like, hey, uh, boys, we're having these shipping problems or we're having these box problems, I was already an expert on it. I was like, I've weighed the deodorant, I've weighed the box, I've weighed the packaging material. I know when you got to get to the USPS by in order to get uh, your product shipped that day in order to get the uh, tracking label active that day. I went through all of that by myself. I, I've done ShipStation. I know how to use ShipStation because I was the person doing it by myself, like doing it uh, myself. Like, if you start hiring people to do that, that's crazy early on. Yeah, especially because even if you can afford it, even if you can afford it, sure. if you can't be the judge of the execution within your own business, you are vulnerable. Yes, absolutely. You have no idea what's going on if somebody's like, hey, this you're is tricked all like, that. Okay, I guess I, so. People like, people like, Gary, I hired somebody to do my social media. I'm like, you're in trouble because I'm in social and I can tell you right now, just like you with commerce and I'm in commerce, like a lot of it's bad. Yeah, absolutely. And you, and you can get really tricked if you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Yeah, I think the hard part is like two years in when your business has grown and the complexity is shot up, like, you know, up into the right. Uh, it's really hard to like live up to that complexity. Like by the time, you know, Native is now a nine figure a year business. Uh, you know, we've got multiple contract manufacturers. We're shipping from multiple places. We're selling into Target, Walmart, CVS, Walgreens, and all these other retail stores. It's hard to maintain, it's hard to live up to that level of complexity when you get there. It's a lot easier, um, you know, in the early days when you're doing everything and you're like, I'm an expert in everything. My first eight employees, I was like, I'm an expert in what you're doing because I did it myself for a year before 100%. I hired you. 100%. So how long did Native happen before you sold the company to Procter & Gamble? Uh, about 26 months. We la launched in July 2015. We launched, uh, I guess, 20, yeah, so, uh, we, uh, we sold in November 2017. For some of the people that are going through potentially selling their companies, obviously right now it's an interesting time, so maybe it just stopped or maybe it'll come up after this. You know, how, how hesitant were you to sell that early when you had something that good? What, you know, it's Procter. It's one of the biggest companies in the world. Sure. Were, like, not to overshare because some of this is personal stuff, but like, were you completely fucking blown away when you saw the offer? Like, you know, like some of this stuff is public knowledge. Like, yeah, yeah, sure. So like, like, so, so like we tell, the, tell the story yeah. for everybody. Yeah, we like um, somebody came knocking on our door back in February 2017. So that 18 months into the business, you know, at first I was like, this isn't real. Uh, and, and then they made an offer where we had to sort of like wake up. And I was just like, look, by the, by the time we sold the business, I owned 90 some percent of the company. Uh, so I was still a majority right? shareholder. And I was like, look, um, I can't ignore all of these offers. Like, uh, you know, in July 2015, 0% of my wealth is in native. By November, by like, you know, 28, uh, by 2017, 99.99% of my wealth is in native. And I recognize that. And like, you know, nobody wants to have all their chips in one basket. And so, um, you know, th this person came knocking. We, we hired an investment banker and sort of talked to the Unilevers, P&Gs, um, Colgate Paul. Olives, uh, all the all the you know strategic buyers and a, a bunch of private equity firms as well. Uh, 
you know, uh, doing the deal is absolutely nuts. Like P&G hadn't done a deal in 10 years. I remember we heard an investment banker and we're like, so what does P&G do? Like, how do they usually behave when they're doing M&A? And they're like, nobody has any idea because they haven't purchased anything in a decade. So like the people who are doing this are new people. Like nobody knows how they behave any longer. Well, with, you know, Unilever or another private equity yeah. company, they're buying companies uh, every yeah. day or every every uh, yeah. quarter. And so you sort of know how they'll behave. Um you know, did the deal. P&G was fantastic. I think when you're selling the business, what you're really worried about is like deal certainty. Is this deal going to happen or is somebody going to try and like pull the rug out under me at the last second? Um, and you're willing to like uh, make compromises for that. P&G, I never felt that way with P&G. Like That's before nice. we did the deal, they're like, hey, look, this is what we're going to do after we close. You're going to run this business. We love this business. Your, your team is going to remain in San Francisco. You're going to remain in San Francisco. You're completely independent from us. And that was, uh, you know, there was a lot of deal certainty going into that. But like, yeah, I mean, a hundred million dollars was it a uh, <laughs> eye-opening number? Absolutely, like that's a crazy amount of money. Who'd like, you call uh, first I, when you thought it was becoming real? Uh, my brother, definitely, because like he had sort of he had been there. Like I was running uh, the business out of his apartment. Um, he had been there every step of the way. He was the person I went to when I was scared about the business, when I didn't think uh, I, I knew what I was doing. And like you know, he knew how to push me. Like when our when our product was really poor or like not like you know getting uh twenty five percent purchase rate yeah. yeah he'd be like Moise you need to make this product better and I'm like well Unilever spends a billion dollars a year on R and D you want me to do better than that like I don't have a billion dollars and he's like yes with, and he's like yeah you can do it and like he knew to push me just enough for me to get upset and work really hard but not <laughs> enough for me to like sort of quit Break. and be like fuck yeah. this I'm not doing this. Really uh, nice. To him and like it, it was fantastic and um, yeah th I mean that acquisition was a massive outcome for us but it was also a really great learning uh, like you know I learned how to build a business from zero to nine figures and that was crazy and it turns out like um, you know everyone gets to do it in their own way uh, when we sold the business we had eight employees and a bunch of them were in customer service and uh, like you know that's that's rare for a business that that that's doing tens of millions of dollars in revenue but everyone gets to pave their own path and when people come to me and they're like hey what worked for native was Facebook, Facebook was it Instagram, Instagram was Pinterest, Pinterest. Uh, uh, I, I, what, what, what worked for me is not what's going to work, gonna work for you, you. Uh, what, what I did, I did was specific to my industry, industry and, and the time that I was doing and my skill and you know you might be of course of course and it changes right like facebook's changing Definitely. every second if you, you know tiktok and then and then it might be like somebody's gonna build a huge e-commerce company because their shipping box when you open it smells like cinnamon cookies and it becomes all the rave and 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 the today show covers it and everybody covers it and that's the spark dollar shave club was a singular creative video no different than that's just right. do it or beef they just nailed it so hard that it just changed their game from day one they launched yeah. with a win what an incredible incredible hit sorry everybody i took out my uh earpiece is there an echo are we are we good now it's it's because um, it's it's you're a speaker, speaker and the, the voice we're wrapping up anyway i'll try to sure, you know sure. what i'll put my things back on they were about to die boys give us some give us some wisdom on the way out uh, yeah, I, I think that like people should do uh, sh should be entirely independent when they're starting these businesses. Don't follow uh, other people's paths. Do what you're good at and um, be consistent about that. You know, we had people telling us when we were raising when we were growing the business, they're like, "You need to launch another product before you sell the business. You can't just sell deodorant and sell this business for 100 million. You have to sell five other categories in order to prove that you're not a one trick pony." That wasn't the case. We're like, "I appreciate yeah. that advice. We're going to do what we think is right." People were like, "Have you tried influencer marketing?" I was like, "You think I haven't thought about influencer marketing? I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to do ten." of millions of dollars in revenue it's 2017 
I know what influencer marketing is, but I'm gonna do what I think is right for the business. And I encourage people to do that. And maybe most of all, be frugal. You know, people walk, yes. like, when I walk into offices, I walk into like other startups offices and I'm like, this is the most beautiful office I've ever seen. I'm gonna come here every day and eat your free lunch. My company, which is profitable and doing seven figures in EBITDA a month, cannot afford free lunches. Your company is losing money and can afford free lunches. I'm gonna eat your free lunch. We never paid that. for office space until we sold the business. You know, I'd contact all these other companies that were doing worse than us and they'd be like, here, talk to my assistant. I'm like, you have an assistant? What are you doing? Like your business is not profitable and there's no path to it and you're hiring all these people. Be frugal, there's nothing shameful in being cheap. Boys, what you just said, and I, 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 I bravo you, is actually build a business instead of what you and I have lived through the last decade, which is people yeah. built financial arbitrage machines. They are not sure. businesses. I've told a lot of my friends, you don't have a business. You have a financial arbitrage machine. You take capital. As soon as you take the capital, you deploy it, deploy it like a rich kid. You then immediately go right back into getting that person or somebody else to deploy more capital into you. All you do is make decks and play in Excel sheets and CAC and LTV and <laughs> manipulate numbers to have VC meetings. You don't know anything about your own fucking customer. Yeah, it's nuts. Go build a real business, not a business made for the tech rush in the world. And if you build 100%. a real business, you will get in tech rush. Yeah, I, I lived it. I built a liquor store that had a website and I was on Dignation and TechCrunch, you know, yeah, before I it. even knew what the fuck that meant. You know? Yeah, and so, I love that. That's great. So what are you up to now? Like, are you you running the business independent still? Like, I, I apologize not, for not uh, knowing. Left, okay, tell me I what's going in, on. Uh, at the end of January. Uh, so I've been independent for, like, I haven't been doing anything for, like, you know, I've been running the business for uh, the last couple of months. Uh, I'm now investing in a bunch of businesses. I'm an investor in a bunch of e-commerce businesses from Manscaped to Pepper to... Uh, you know, magic spoon, uh, love investing and advising e-commerce businesses. Do you think um, you'll get, do you think you'll get out of that? Like, do you think you'll get bored of it? Kind of like I did. It's almost like I'm looking at you. I'm like, wow, this is so my life. Like I, I just literally immediately was like, I wonder when and if he gets bored of being that passive and you definitely. Know, yeah. Look, it's been three months and I want to start another business already. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like COVID yeah. makes it so you can't travel and it's hard to like yeah. have meetings and it's hard to do things. Uh, yeah. But like there's there's no way I'm an investor at heart. I'm an operator at heart. Yeah. Uh, and I love I learned, I learned that too. Was there anything else that we haven't, uh, we haven't touched on just as a parting shot? Really appreciate the time and really appreciate you sort of um, praising businesses that are doing a million dollars and taking home 80K or doing 10 million and taking home 2 million. Nobody does that uh, and really appreciate a voice as loud as yours doing that. Um, you're that. inspirational in that. And, and, and any like hot take, you know, I love leaving like a last breadcrumb of like a singular tactic. You, you already put it down so properly. I admire so many things that came out of your mouth today. So thank you for being on. Uh, everyone's got their own unique thing. Yeah. And, and anything emerging that's kind of got your attention, like, oh, that's clever, or I like that, or I bet you that could, it's, it, it may work for 63% of this audience. Any tact, people like a nice sure. tactic from a leader like you. Yeah, I'll tell you what we worked at Native. Um, you know, we we started uh, asking customers to do a lot of video reviews at home because we're like, uh, because we're like, look, reviews can be faked, and no one like you know people don't trust Yelp reviews like they used to. No, and people may not trust our reviews or even Amazon reviews. But if you have a, a mother, you know, with her child at home taking a video talking about Native with an iPhone in her bathroom, and you have hundreds of those, and they're all different homes and different bathrooms Love. and different mothers, you can't fake Love. those things. And so and that was really critical that. for us. I love that. And you know what's cool about that? And the way I think about production, you can take some of those assets, ask for the rights, and really make some really great, great hero and other creative with it. Yeah, those, those became our ads. They became selling points on the website. They became conversion tactics. Like they were instrumental in growing the business.
I appreciate that tidbit. I appreciate you. Keep going. Let me know if I can ever be a help to you. Thanks so much, Gary. Really appreciate Thank it. You. Thanks for everybody listening. Thanks for everybody watching on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. I saw all your comments. I appreciate it. We'll talk soon. Everybody stay healthy. Take care. See you, Gary. Coffee and commerce. We'll see you next time. As we end today's podcast, I want to give a huge shout out to the people. You know, it's so funny. People that leave reviews and written reviews of this podcast on Apple, Spotify, and all the other platforms just mean the world to me. You've taken an extra 13 to 95 seconds to show love and also give context to people of why this is a worthwhile podcast. So I appreciate that so much. And even more fun, because uh, I think we all love a little cosign or a shout out or a little awareness. Uh, I'm gonna have the team give a couple of shout outs uh, daily on uh, our favorite reviews. So take it away, which were our favorites this week? Thanks, Gary. Today's highlighted review is Long Time by Creeper Wolfcraft. Me and my dad have been listening to Gary V for so long that my dad started his own podcast. Gary V's podcast is the best podcast hands down. Drop the mic. Keep those reviews coming. We could highlight yours next.